Hey, listen, as we start this morning, here's what I want you to think about. If you have an opportunity, and, and not hypothetically, but actually right here, right now, you have an opportunity to stand before the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and get a need met in your life, a great need in your life, what would that be right now? Now, I'm not, this is not the place to be shy and humble. It's not the place, oh, I don't have any needs. Y yes, you do. <laughs> so what would you stand before God right now and say, man, the, a need in my life, maybe a, maybe a need in my home, what would you ask him for right now? Kind of got that on your heart and mind? All right, let's have, let's have a word of prayer, okay? Heavenly Father, I come before you right now on what is on every heart and mind in this room right now. Lord, we're going to see a pass in just a moment that actually says you're able to discern, perceive, know what is going on in each heart and mind in the room. Lord, you know the need, you know the burden. We didn't even have to voice it. You already know that. And Lord, my prayer for each person in this room in the name of Jesus Christ is that you would meet that need this week. I pray you would meet that need in a profound way, in, in a way that it is so clear that it is what you did, that, that they'll know, the people around them will know, look what God did, look how he moved and worked. And Lord, I'm so grateful that you don't just give answers, you don't just give good answers, you only give perfect answers. And as I praise you for that, Father, I am aware that sometimes the perfection of your answer involves a timing. And, and if the timing of that answer is not this week, then Lord, I pray that you would, you would move, you would work, you would speak into the life of that person here today. I, I pray that they this week would see that you do know what's going on in their life. You do care. You, you have an answer for them and that you are moving and working toward that answer. God, would you meet these needs in every one of our lives? I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, would you open your Bibles with me this morning to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, second book there into your New Testament after Matthew before Luke. Or dial it up on your smartphone if you've got a Bible app. But get to Mark chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 to 12 today. Mark chapter 2. Everybody there? It sounds like it. Mark chapter 2. Let me begin in verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Well, he, 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 he can't talk like that. He can't say that. He, he's blaspheming. Who, who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. 
And immediately he arose and picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and they glorified God saying, we have never, we have never seen anything like this. If today is your first time here at the Heights, or maybe you haven't been here for a couple of weeks, we have begun this fall a series on the Gospel of Mark. Today's our fourth message out of about 13 as we work our way through this this Gospel. And our purpose in studying this is the exact same purpose Mark had. When under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote this gospel to those first century believers at the church in Rome. And his purpose, our purpose, was to embolden, to strengthen faith, the ability to hold on to Jesus, to walk with Jesus, no matter the cost. And man, when we do that, we want to show the world, our homes, our families, we want to show the people around us the worth that Christ has in our lives. You know, sometimes, I think if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes what we show the world is a worthless Christ. We, we, we carry the banner. We have the name. Every, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. I follow, I follow Jesus. But then people watch our lives and that following of Jesus, man, it doesn't make any difference anywhere. It, it doesn't affect anything. Well, that shows, Jesus, that shows a world then, a Jesus that ultimately doesn't amount to much. He doesn't, doesn't mean a whole lot. No, we, we don't want that. We want people to see us being able to follow Christ into every place in our life, every day of our life. And, and by seeing how we follow him, they see how we value him, the worth that we have in him. Now, last week we saw one, that, I mean, all through this series, we're going to see lots of, but last week we saw one reason we would do something like that. Because he cares for us, right? We saw how much he cared for us. We saw that Jesus is moved by us. The one we follow is moved by us. And so we want to show him to the world in the, in the worth and in the value that he is. Now, in our story today, what we're going to see is what that means. What, what is something that Jesus does when he's moving? When he's been moved by us, move, move to do what? what? What does that mean? What does that accomplish? In our story today, it begins with Jesus entering the town of Capernaum. In the translation I read, it actually called it his home. Now, you might remember Jesus grew up in Nazareth as a, as a small child, into his teenage years, even into, into adulthood. He was in Nazareth, but as he comes out of the waters of baptism, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, he officially begins his ministry. And when he is in the northern part of Israel, when he's up by the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum is kind of his base of operations. He's moving around all the time. He's constantly moving around to other towns and, and in and out of Capernaum. But it does appear that Capernaum is kind of that base of operations for him, almost where, where he lives. And not just Jesus, but a lot of his disciples come out of Capernaum. Peter, Andrew, James, John all grew up in Capernaum. So when they're in Capernaum, they're, they're probably around family. They're, they're around friends. Uh, Capernaum was a, a large town for that day. What what we probably would call a county seat type town. So that's where the, the government offices were. That's where the tax offices were. Well, guess who Jesus called out of one of those tax offices? Matthew. So, so Matthew is from Capernaum. So they're, they're at home. This is where he's moving and working. And, and so the town of Capernaum, the people of Capernaum, they probably hear as much of Jesus' teaching 
as, as any of the towns in Israel. They, they see as many of his miracles as, as any of the towns in Israel. And, uh, and we see the crowds in Capernaum following him. You know, we said last week, we saw the crowds pressing in on Jesus. We, we see crowds overwhelming towns. When we were two weeks ago in the baptism, we were talking about thousands, even tens of thousands of people. Last week, we were seeing hundreds and even thousands of people overwhelming these towns. Now, what's today's number? It, notice in the story, it says that he's inside of a, of a home. Well, a home doesn't hold thousands of people, does it? As a matter of fact, having been to Capernaum and no home there is standing, but, but you see the foundation, the archaeological dig has, has about uncovered the entire town and you can walk down the streets and you see where homes, where the synagogue, everything was. And, you know, as it says this here, I'm trying to imagine this is probably not a room much bigger than 15 by 15 feet. You know, we're in the last couple of weeks, weeks, we've been talking about hundreds and thousands. I can't imagine there's much more than 25 people in the room, uncomfortably. Now, it's not just people in the room. Did you notice it says they were, they were crowded into the house and, and out the door. The idea there is that the crowd was spilling out the door and that might be where you do get hundreds. They're, they're up and down the street. We know from the story they're, they're up on the roof. And, and so maybe there are hundreds of people there. You probably, have you ever gone to do something and you couldn't hear or see what you were there to do? Picture that. There's probably more people that can't see Jesus than can. There's more people that can't hear what he's saying than than can. And, And so here comes these crowds. Jesus is in this home and it says there that he teaches them the word. You see that word, word? The word, word is the Greek word logos. Okay, when it says there he's preaching where he's preaching to them the logos. That's a Greek word that we use a lot in English biology, geology, theology, all of the ologies come from the Greek word logos. And the word logos means the content. It's the truth, the, the, the curriculum of that subject. And in, when that word logos is used in the New Testament, it is often used to refer to the, the teaching of the gospel, the teaching about how a person has a relationship with God. It's not just one three-minute talk, but, but it's all of the subjects under being in right relationship with God. So Jesus is talking to them about how to be rescued from from sin, death, and hell. He's talking about how they come into a relationship with God. He's talking about the the joy, the security, the peace uh, that comes from knowing, having that eternal relationship with God. These are the kinds of things he would have been talking about when the roof starts to fall in. Now that's a bad thing, right? You know, when, when, it, when it starts, I mean, think about it. You know there's this massive crowd. You know there's people on the roof. I mean, it, the story doesn't say anything like this, but wouldn't you think there's maybe just a little bit of panic? Is, is, is the house caving in? <laughs> is it crumbling? I mean, you think if I'm in here preaching away, doing my thing, and, and a tile falls from the roof, okay, that's just kind of annoying. We all look over there and ha-ha, and okay, and, and we don't think... But if a tile over there falls and a tile over there falls and two or three fall over here, I'm going to be preaching in here pretty quickly by myself, aren't I? Yeah, I mean, hey, this, this isn't supposed to happen. This is, you know, there's going to be a panic and we want to get out of the room. We generally don't like to be on the bottom of the pile, do we? Okay, so how is that not happening here? And, and yet it doesn't say anything about panic. So I'm guessing as the roof is starting to fall, they are able to pretty quickly reconcile what's happening. 
And, and, and there's this hole opening up and they see people and they're lowering this body down. And so now maybe they go from a sense of panic to a sense of excitement. Hey, 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 th- th- this is what we're here to see. Cue the miracle. I mean, folks, hey, I'm here to see a show. I've heard Jesus does these kinds of things. And so they're excited and this body comes down and it's, and it's laying there before the feet of Jesus. And I kind of wonder, what, what's he thinking? What's he feeling this one? What, if that was you, and I'm not sure we can imagine it. I, I, don't, I don't know how well I can imagine because I haven't lived my life on a mallet. I, I, I haven't been, had to have people carry me and lower me down. I haven't laid on the floor at everybody else's feet. But, but if we could, if that's you, what are you thinking about in that moment? Are you embarrassed? Are, are you hopeful, excited? Would Jesus? Could Jesus? Maybe what he's thinking is what you and I were thinking just a moment ago. Okay, I'm, I'm standing before God. Hey, I've got a chance to get a need met. I've got a chance to, have, to maybe have something really big happen right here. And, and, and he's thinking on that in that moment. And, and then what does it say there? It says, and Jesus forgave his sins. Now, let's think for a second about the movement of the story, okay? There's a lot of movement taking place. First of all, we have crowds moving. Do you see that? There's Jesus, and here comes the crowds. And, and with, I mean, this is a crowd. We know what a crowd is. And so a crowd means all kinds of people, you know, all kinds of needs. I wonder a moment ago when I was praying for you, how many needs was I praying for? How many different things was coming to our heart and mind in that moment for ourselves, maybe for somebody else, a significant thing. Maybe it's something we're excited about. Maybe it's something we're scared to death. But a crowd means all kinds of needs, okay? And what does Jesus do with the crowd? He talks to them about a relationship with God. And then the story moves again, and now we have not crowds, but we have an individual, one person, a specific person with a very specific need, He now comes before Jesus, and what does Jesus do? He talks to him about a relationship with God. Because when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, what he's saying is, I have just moved, I have just worked to bring you back into right relationship with God. Are are you excited about that? If if that's you laying there, and and Jesus says your your sins are forgiven, what, what, what do you say next? Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Man, oh boy. You know, I knew there was a problem between me and God. Man, thank you. Thank you so much for, for taking care of that. that. That means a lot. Thank you so much, Jesus. Um, um, m- m- Mr. Jesus, sir, could, could I have a second request? I mean, th- think about this moment. Think about the entire setting. Do you think there's anybody in that room that thinks this guy was lowered down so his sins could be forgiven? When those four guys are up there, I guess, like with a rope, right? And, and they're, they're, they're lowering them down. I mean, they're, they're up there. I'm guessing they're kind of excited too. Do you think, man, when he, when, he get, when he hits the floor, that's when Jesus forgives his sins. Do you think that's what it is? anybody in this room thinking that? Do, do we look at this guy and say, boy, the great need in his life is to have his sins forgiven. That, that's what he needs right now. No, folks, that is not at all what anybody there or here would be thinking. The guy needs to be healed. What in the world are you doing, Jesus? Is Jesus just kind of obtuse in this moment? Did he just kind of miss it? 
Oh, oh, you wanted, you wanted, to, be, you wanted to be healed. Oh, I, I, I got mixed up, sorry. It, 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 could Jesus not do something? Is Jesus just insensitive? Hey, that's, you're, you know, all got problems, right? Now, everything I just said we know is not true. I mean, remember, we've, Mark, we began the story in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. What comes before Mark 2? It's not a trick question. Mark 1. Yeah, we've been there for two weeks now. And what we see over and over and over is people being healed. We see Jesus absolutely dialed in on what people's needs are, absolutely caring to meet those needs, having the power to meet them. As a matter of fact, last week, we even saw Jesus really focused on moving on to another issue and doing something else. And he still stops and heals somebody. So when he says your sins are forgiven, he's not saying, oh, I didn't really know what your need was or I can't or I don't care. Okay, well, if it's none of that, then what, what is he doing in this moment? Because we all think he should be healed, don't we? Perhaps Jesus in this moment is seeking to very powerfully communicate that a lot of the physical needs we perceive to be so significant in our lives are not actually the great need that needs to be dealt with. Isn't that kind of what he said to the disciples last week? Remember in Mark 1.35, Jesus was out there alone praying. The disciples came out and found him. And said, Jesus, there's this huge crowd back in town. All these needs, they need you. Are you going to come and, and take care of this? And what was Jesus' answer? He said, listen, I need to move on. I need to go to the other towns and, and I need to preach. Preach what? The Logos. That's the great need. That's the thing I'm here to do is to preach about having a relationship with God. Now, that's something he just said to those 12. But now he's got these crowds in front of him. Maybe he's trying to get this out there. Listen, I care about your needs. And I'll do something about your needs. But I can meet all your needs. And guess what? Leave you in an eternity in hell. Do you realize it doesn't actually matter what needs are met on this earth if the big issue is not taken care of? And the big issue is that I have, you have a sin problem. We have a sin issue between us and God, between, between us and eternity. That's the big need. That's the big problem. And that's what Jesus is moving to fix, to address, to work on, to give an answer for you and me. Now, as Jesus is doing this, we have another story going on, a little subplot over here. As this is all happening, we, we have uh, some, uh, some scribes, right? And I don't know how many scribes are. It says scribes. So there's more than one, right? At least two. Again, I'm imagining this setting taking place in a room, maybe 25 people in it. They're in the room. So I'm assuming they're not all scribes, maybe two, maybe five, maybe six. I don't know. But, but they're, they're, they're murmuring, or, or they're not murmuring. They're thinking in their hearts, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus can't say that. That, that. That's blasphemy. You and I in our culture wouldn't pick this up, but what we just witnessed was a high crime, punishable by death. In that culture, you didn't get to say, I'm God. You got killed for saying that. And that's what Jesus is doing. You know, I kind of laugh when I hear sometimes atheist writings or sometimes speakers or people who, who want to give you the feeling they can really tear the scriptures up and, and how much they know about the scriptures, almost they know absolutely nothing at all. No, no, no real depth. And I've heard people say things like, well, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, first of all, yes, he did. 
And, and second of all, there's a lot of places where he claimed that, where you and I would go right through that and miss it. For instance, we just read 12 verses in Mark chapter 2, did we? Nowhere in those 12 verses did we hear this sentence come out of Jesus' mouth. I am God. That sentence didn't happen, did it? But folks, when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, he is profoundly proclaiming to be God. And everybody in that audience would have known exactly what he was saying and that that's what he was doing. I mean, the biggest evidence that that entire culture believed Jesus was claiming to be God is the cross. That's why they put him there. That's why they killed him is because he proclaimed to be God. Only God can forgive sins. Hey, you know, there's something else only God can do. Only God can read hearts and minds. Only God knows what every person is thinking in a moment. Did, did you notice there in verse 6, 8, it doesn't, I mean, verse 6, it doesn't say that they were grumbling. It doesn't say they were talking. It doesn't say in verse 8 that Jesus overheard them. No, it said that they were reasoning in their hearts. And then it says that Jesus perceived in his heart. He knows what's going on in every heart and life in the room. It was true then. It's true right now. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows where, how this is working for you and, and what it's me. He knows that for everybody. Now, another thing here in this story, notice it says, I think in verse five, that Jesus noticed their faith. Here's a little Bible clue, a little Bible study clue. Whenever God stops and notices something, that's a good time for you to stop and notice something. Okay, when God says, wow, look at that, you should look at that. Okay, and what Jesus just said here is, wow, that is faith. Now, how many times have we all said, man, what is faith? Do I have enough faith? How do you have faith? What's it look like? Jesus, hey, this is it right here. What is it? I don't, want, I don't want to miss it. Well, let's look at the setting of what's happening. It appears to me that this is faith. There's four guys standing here. Okay, I'll be one of the four. And, and we're holding this pallet. And we've got our, our friend, family member. It doesn't describe the relationship. I kind of wish it did. We've got him here. And, and this is a problem. And right there, Jesus, we believe is the answer. Here's my problem. There's my answer. Jesus is the answer. Now, here's, here's another problem. Between us, the five of us, and the answer is a sea of people. And that sea of people recognize, that, that, that sea of people means a sea of difficulty, a, a, a sea of inconvenience. It will not be easy to get to Jesus. We're going to have to carry a body through the crowd. We're going to have to get up on top of the roof. Have you ever gone somewhere? You're standing in line and man, there's not enough seats and you're trying to get in. You thought you were there early enough. And then, and then here comes somebody that's kind of muscling and pushing their way through. Yeah, we say things about that person, don't we? Sometimes it's quietly in our hearts. Sometimes we say it out loud. The crowd does not like people who ignore the crowd and push their way through to get the spot everybody else wanted. And that's what they've got to do now. They've got to push their way through the crowd, get up on top of the roof, tear it open. Is Jesus going to accept us? How's, how is this all going to work? You know what faith is here, folks? It's tenacity. It's tenacity, it is creativity, it is saying Jesus is the answer and I'm going to Jesus no matter what it takes. Now, that's faith. Okay, that's the picture. Jesus said, hey, look, look, look at that picture. Okay, well then I take that picture and I take the picture of my faith and I put it up next to it. You see, the value of getting a picture is now I can evaluate, hey, what does my faith look like? You know, folks, if, if we're honest sometimes, I think we all struggle with this. We're kind of looking for a faith that's easy. 
It, it, it doesn't take any creativity. It doesn't take any tenacity. I, I, I want a faith that I'm going with the crowd. I, I, I'm going with what everybody else is doing. And yet Jesus is stopping and noticing and acknowledging a faith that, hey, this is a faith that does what it does, whether the crowd is helping or not whether the crowd is, is approving or not, whether it's, obviously it would have been more convenient to come back another day, right? It would have been more convenient to wait for another time, but, but not these guys. They're going to Jesus. They're going to Jesus. And so we come down through this, that we deal with the scribes. We come to the end of this story, folks, and we have Jesus saying, your, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And we've been, we've been studying, you know, Jesus, Mark chapter one, he moves, right? He moves, but moves, moves what? What, what, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, here, what we're saying is he moves to meet the greatest need in our life at his greatest cost. When we say Jesus moves, that's not just kind of a warm, emotional, fuzzy thought. Jesus moving means he moves to meet the greatest need in our lives at his greatest cost. You see, folks, when God says, I forgive you, and when God says that, it's different than when we forgive each other. Now, of course, we're very inconsistent at forgiving each other. And when we do forgive each other, mostly it's because we just decided we didn't care anymore. I, I, I can absorb the wrong you did. Okay, I, I, I forgive you. That's fine. Okay, that's not the way forgiveness works with God. Because while forgiveness, God's forgiveness is very loving, we tend to separate love and justice. But folks, love and justice can't be separated I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, while it is loving to forgive, it's not loving to allow a wrong to continue. It's not loving to allow an environment where wrong can actually flourish and and wrong can grow. The wrong, the sin, needs to be dealt with. So so when God says, I forgive you, he's not saying, oh, you know, it's okay. I know y'all didn't mean it. Nobody's perfect. Uh, The rules were probably too hard anyway. No, folks, when he moves to forgive, he moves to justly forgive. He has to resolve and take care of that sin, pay the penalty for it, pay the price for it. And that's what Jesus does for us on the cross. You know, we're going through this series and, and we talked about it last week, right? We're, we're weighing, we're weighing, is Christ worth it? Is he worth following? Is he worth the cost of that? Because you know what? This week I might be following and it might be real clear. Boy, here's, here's a place, here's a situation where I could be a witness. But boy, if I, if I do that, I, I could be rejected. I could be made fun of. They could start talking about me here in the group. You see, there, there's a, if I follow him, there might be a cost. Is he worth that? Is he worth that? Or, or, or maybe I'm gonna follow him into, into sexual purity. I mean, there's a cost for that in our culture. Trying to be sexually pure in our culture, you're a freak. You're weird. You know what? You're going to be made, to, you're not going to find love. You can't find love in our culture with, without that being introduced right away and soon. Is he, is, he, is he worth that cost? Or maybe I follow him over here into this relationship. I mean, if you're in any kind of relationship at all, sooner or later, you've got to forgive somebody, right? Am I going to follow Christ into that? Am I going to follow him into forgiveness? You follow him into that, people take advantage of you. They may not change. They may not even appreciate that you forgave them. Or, or am I going to f- follow him over here into, into giving? 
so that my resources are about his priorities in the gospel and in the church. It's his resources. No, Lord, I'm not following you over there. They're my resources and I got too many bills and I don't have enough of my resources. And folks, we could just talk about this the rest of the day. You're going to follow Jesus a thousand places this week. Following Jesus is not, okay, now here's the three places. Here's the three... Everywhere you move this week, every decision, every relationship, every value, your thoughts, how you live, you're following Christ. And there's, there can be a cost in our culture to doing it. And so here we are, we're weighing, is he worth it? Who in the world do we think we are? Weighing if he's worth it. Folks, do we realize that he moved before we move he loved before we loved he moved to pursue you and me not no matter the cost knowing full well the cost here I am weighing if he's worth it and he's already weighed me as worth it he's already weighed you as worth it. Let's pray. Lord, I, there are some things I know that are in front of me this week. I got this and this and this planned. I know what's going to happen here and there. I'm confident there'll be some other things that will come into my life that I don't know about this week. That's true for every one of us in here. Lord, I pray for all of us. There's a heart, a passion, a desire to, to actually follow you. Not, not just call ourselves Christians or Jesus followers, but to actually follow you somewhere. To follow you into all of the areas of our life. And certainly, Lord, to deem you worthy that if in that following, it, it exacts some kind of cost. But Lord, as we're weighing your worth, may we realize that you weighed us as worthy. May we, may we never get over that. May we never get over what your love means and what your love did in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for pursuing me, knowing full well what it was gonna cost you to get me, to get us. May we weigh that this week. May that just be kind of front and center in our heart and our mind as we move into this week and make these decisions about what our following of you is going to look like. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.